Welcome, I'm Cliff Hedges. This is Pastor Cliff's Notes. This is a podcast where we're studying the Bible. We're beginning a study of the book of Hebrews. Today is episode 863, and today we'll be looking at Hebrews 1, 1 through 4. Before we get into the text, let's talk a little bit about the book of Hebrews. Hebrews is an interesting book of the Bible. It's unique. It's kind of like a letter, but in some ways it's not like a letter. It's almost like a written sermon. But it includes a personal benediction at the end, like most of the letters do. It doesn't have what letters normally have at the beginning, some kind of introduction, some kind of statement of who it's for. This just dives right into the content. So well, the first question is, well, who wrote the book of Hebrews? And the bottom line is, we don't know. There are a lot of ideas, a lot of theories, and the people make very good arguments of who the author is. One of the things we do know is it's not Timothy, because Timothy's mentioned. It says, Timothy, our brother, has been released. So it's not Timothy. There's been times where it's been generally accepted that it's the Apostle Paul, but it's probably not. It's a real different style in how Paul writes, a different way that Paul deals with so many things. A lot of the same subject matter that Paul uses. And so many think it's probably somebody who's very closely associated with Paul. And the theories run the gamut. You find a name in the New Testament, somebody says that's the writer of Hebrews. I think some have made a very good argument that it might actually have been Luke. Because some of the parallels in writing style and word usage very closely match what Luke did in the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. And there's some stylistic comparisons to the pastoral epistles of Paul, First and Second Timothy, and Titus. So along with that theory, some say that Luke was with Paul at that final imprisonment where he wrote First and Second Timothy and Titus and was the one who actually wrote the letter for Paul, was the scribe who wrote the letter. And then Luke went on to write the book of Hebrews. Is that for sure? No, it's not. And so we won't say that's the case, but a good case can be made for that. But a good case can be made for a lot of names. So who wrote it? We don't know. When was it written? Well, he didn't put a date on it. The best guesses are probably the mid to late 60s. Because with the focus on the sacrificial system of Judaism and the fact that no mention is made of the destruction of the temple, which occurred in 70 AD, implies it was probably written before 70 AD. Some of the other things that note, it probably wasn't written before 64, so best guesses are like 64 to 68 AD. Who was it written to? Again, it's not addressed to these people. Now, the title of the book, Hebrews, or To the Hebrews, that's a later edition. That wasn't part of the letter itself. But that's a good title for it because the best guess is that is who it's written to, Jewish Christians. 
Now, was it to all the Jewish Christians? Well, it was to a specific group of people. The writer knew this group of people and knew their specific challenges. It really wouldn't fit for any other group other than a group of Jewish Christians. And were they run-of-the-mill Jewish Christians? Some say it might have been a group of priests. We read in the book of Acts, Acts 6, 7, that a large number of priests came to follow Christ. And what's the location? Well, he doesn't say where he is, and he doesn't say where they are. Now, in his closing sentence, he says, those who are from Italy send you greetings. And so somehow Italy, probably Rome, figures into this. Either I'm in Italy, and those with me from Italy send you greetings, or you're in Italy. And there's a bunch of people with me who are from Italy. They're your friends. They send you greetings. So somehow Italy figures into it. Either that's where it's being written from, or that's where the recipients are. And you can make good arguments in all these directions. So what can we really say with a good idea? Well, it seems to be written to a group of Jewish Christians. Now, they've never seen or heard Jesus in person, but learned of him from what they had been told about him. The writer has never seen or heard Jesus in person. Similarly, has learned through what he's been taught. Now, the group seems to be, they've been exposed to some persecution. Well, they've had to endure some public abuse, some imprisonment, even the looting of their property. They haven't been called to die for their faith yet. And they've given some practical evidence of their faith by serving their fellow Christians, caring for those that have suffered in persecution. Yet they're kind of at a crisis point here that they seem to have this temptation to fall back into Judaism. Judaism has not been outlawed like Christianity is becoming. And so it's a safer place than Christianity. And so the theme of this is don't go for that. Stick with Christianity, even if it's going to cost you your life, because there really is no alternative. So with this bit of background, let's dive into it. Read. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Long ago, God spoke to our ancestors by the prophets at different times and in different ways. In these last days, he's spoken to us by his Son. God has appointed him heir of all things and made the universe through him. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of his nature, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So he became superior to the angels, just as the name he inherited is more excellent than theirs. Well, we often call this the prologue, kind of the beginning, setting the stage of things, talking about what he's looking at. He's looking at Christ and what he's done. He begins with God. Long ago, God spoke to our ancestors by the prophets. Now, assumption here is God reveals himself. And what God has done is he's spoken through the prophets, different times, in different ways. 
So God has chosen people throughout time to reveal himself. And he's used these people, prophets. That's the way God spoke to our ancestors in times gone by. Verse 2, in these last days, now what's he mean by these last days? He just mean recently, and he's really talking about a new age. The revelation of God via the prophets, that's the old age. But we're now in the new age, the messianic age. And God has spoken to us by his son. Now he's going to these seven truths about Jesus. The first one, God has appointed him heir of all things. So this is speaking of his role. God has appointed him to be in charge of everything. And the second point, and he's made the universe through him. That was a big thing in the beginning, the prologue of the book of John, that yeah, God is the creator, but he has created things through the Son, through Jesus Christ. Then verse 3, the third truth is the Son is the radiance of God's glory. Now what he's saying here is, if you want to know about God, look to Jesus. He reveals the nature of God the Father. So he is the radiance of God's glory. We see God's glory through the Son. And then the fourth truth is the exact expression of his nature. So he reveals what God is like. Then the fifth truth, sustaining all things by his powerful word. So we have him active in creation. God creates things through him, but then he also sustains things. Now, he's not like the picture of Atlas holding the world on his shoulders. It's sustaining means bringing along. He makes it all work. And he makes it all work by his powerful word. So here we see it's in accordance with God's plan. He makes things operate and all according to God's plan. And the sixth truth, after making purification for sins. So this is speaking of his mission on earth to be the atonement for sin, to deal with the sin problem. After doing that, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So this is the seventh truth about Jesus. Enthroned at the right hand of God the Father. So he's speaking of truths about Jesus here. And we often talk about Jesus in this threefold office. Prophet priest, and king. Prophet, he reveals God. And that's where the writer Hebrew says, he used to speak through the prophets. Now he reveals himself through the Son. So he reveals who God is, like a prophet. Priest, this is talking about the purification for sin. What was the priest's duty in the Old Testament sacrificial system? Was to be the intermediary between people and God to be the one to make the sacrifice to deal with the sin problem. So Jesus is, this office is priest. He's the intermediary between people and the Father to take care of the problem of sin. And the third office, king. Here he sits in a throne, the right hand of the Father, the king of the kingdom. Then verse 4. So he became superior to the angels, just as the name he inherited 
is more excellent than theirs. Now, one thing jumps out here. He became superior to the angels. Hasn't he always been superior to the angels? Isn't he eternally superior to the angels? Yes. But I think the perspective here is he humbled himself, became a man, and so in that position seemed lower than the angels. He took on sin, but then after this, he ascends to heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. So in that sense, he became superior to the angels. So now, after that incarnation thing, he is superior to the angels. And the name means more than just a title. It's everything wrapped up. Who he is is more excellent than the angels. Now, superior is key here. The uh, Greek word here is kraton, which translates superior or better. And the translators translate it both ways in, in this particular translation. You can just easily say he became better than the angels, superior to the angels. And that's a key theme throughout this book. This word better, superior, is only used 19 times in the New Testament. 13 of those times are in the book of Hebrews. And he's going to go through it talking about why Jesus Christ is better than all these things. Better than angels, better than Moses, better than anything else. And the temptation for these Jewish Christians is to say, Christianity's hard. People are picking on me for being a Christian. I think maybe I'll slide back into that comfort of Judaism. And the answer is no. Christianity's better than Judaism in that. That's where Christ is. That's where hope is. That's where salvation is. It's better. So the theme through the book of Hebrews is Christ is better. Better than what? better than anything else. So we're beginning here our look at the book of Hebrews. We'll work our way through it, take our time, see what we can learn from this unknown author to an unknown group of people, but with some incredible truths that are applicable to all of us for all time. Thanks for joining me. Join me again next time as we continue working through Hebrews.